Ready Ara, to clap? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, go ahead and count. And then Ara, remember Android, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One of these days I'm going to get it right. Okay. It's today. All You're right. going to get it right today. It's today. Okay. All righty. Three, two, one. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. Welcome to the Android Police Podcast. You are not hearing the sultry tones of Daniel Bader this week. He is off on a much-earned vacation, and uh, I think the rest of us would kind of like a vacation after this week. This was a long one. We have more S23 stuff. Now that we've actually used the phones for a reasonable amount of time, we can talk to you about them. We had the Android 14 developer preview one launched this week because of course google would drop it on us this week and we had the one plus 11 so it's been it's been a week and that's not even counting whatever the heck happened with that google ai event we got a lot to get to so let's go ahead and get to it we have a very special guest with us this week uh michelle two guests we should say yes two guests we should say but uh michelle raman i think it's your first time with us back since we uh got back to actually doing the android police podcast so welcome Thanks for having me, and yeah, it's definitely been a while since I was last on the show. Alrighty, and we also have Anuel Vanau. Thank you for joining us. It's rare to get you on our podcast, and I'm very thankful you're here this week, because you have spent much more time with the Android 14 developer preview than I have. So you're going to save me. <laughs> Hi, yes, uh, thank you for having me as well. Um, I-, I would just like to say Mishra Roman definitely had more time with the developer preview than me. <laughs> I was basically just writing 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 and didn't even have that much time to check it out myself <laughs> well i mean michelle's practically the bible when it comes to these new releases i mean like, you <laughs> are true. the source <laughs> well i i do spend a lot of time in making that happen uh, probably too much time for my own good but yeah I'm, I'm glad people find my work informative on android manuel do you kind of want to get started on like explaining what dp1 is and maybe you and michelle can kind of break down what you guys see as the biggest features that we've spotted so far obviously it's early i don't know if we have a total picture yet on what this update is going to well, be well dp1 because... is never a complete picture it, that's, that's what is i mean always but just I... like the int- like the very beginnings exactly. of change the little hints of what might actually be new when we finally get to two and three exactly so manuel if you want to kick us off and then we'll we'll kind of bounce back and forth yes for sure so As everyone listening probably knows, the Android 14 developer preview just hit this week. And as always, the developer preview phase is not really meant for consumers. Like there isn't a proper beta program. There isn't an easy upgrade pass for anyone outside of developers who are willing and eager to get their hands dirty with actually flashing the firmware and actually just flashing OTA updates. And developer preview also means that things are really all about getting apps ready for the next release of Android rather than getting Android itself ready for the next release. So the timeline that we're looking at had us see another developer preview in March and then the beta releases will begin in April. And only then will we really start to see new features in Android itself. It's most likely going to be May, actually, when Beta 2 is going to be released, which will coincide with Google's developer conference, Google I.O., and which the company usually uses to introduce a whole set of new features. But like, nevertheless, there are always things hiding in the background of these developer previews, and that avid tinkerers like Michel Roman here manages to activate and give us an early preview on. So I think I would hand it over to him and have him talk about <laughs> what he thinks is most exciting right now. 
Thanks, Manuel. So there are a ton of under the hood features in Android 14 that I think users will be excited to see once the stable releases out later this year. I think some of the bigger ones include the predictive back gesture, which we actually saw a preview of in Android 13. So in Android 13, if you dive into developer options, you'd notice a predictive back animation toggle. If you toggled that and then you found a compatible app and you opened it all the way to like its root activity, when you start to swipe backwards, the back gesture would take you to the home screen. You would actually notice a little preview. You notice like the, the screen would pop out a little bit and you could actually see that completing the back gesture would take you back to the home screen. So that was kind of like the preview of what we were expected to get in Android 14. In the new release, they're working on improving the back gesture experience even further by not only showing you that a back gesture could take you back to the home screen, but that you can also see um, whether or not a back gesture will take you to a previous app or maybe a previous screen within the app. So like you can basically preview almost anywhere where you're going when you're swiping back. Um, of course, this is not like this doesn't work across every app automatically. It requires developers to actually implement support for the new predictive back APIs. And that's why they implemented this as a preview form in Android 13 so that developers could get ready for it when it does go live and is enforced on apps in Android 14. And so DP1, that actual animation that I was telling you about, it's not active by default, but the APIs that developers can use to support it are available right now. That, I think, is something people will immediately notice once they update their phone and once they start getting updates to their favorite applications. Another thing I think people will really appreciate is the uh, new photo picker restriction. Right now, there's a lot of apps like Twitter, Facebook, etc., that currently ask for access to your gallery so you can you know, input images. Say you want to tweet something and you want to add attach an image to a tweet, right? Twitter asks for permission to access your entire gallery in order to do that. Well, what if you don't want to give Twitter or Elon access to your entire photo gallery? <laughs> Instead, what Android 14 is testing is a new select photos option in the permission dialog for the gallery. So instead of giving apps like Twitter access to your entire gallery, you can use the photo picker that was introduced in Android 13 to select which photos to give access to in Android 14. I'm told this is something that's already been in iOS and that this is copying iOS. To be perfectly honest, I had no idea iOS had that feature because I am not the iOS guy. I am the Android <laughs> guy. Yeah, like I saw that screenshot that you shared of how it will look like on Android and was like, this seems familiar. And uh, then basically <laughs> went ahead, uninstalled Twitter, reinstalled Twitter on iOS. And yeah, it really does look similar. The buttons are just ordered in a different <laughs> Yeah, a different I, I'm looking at your comparison, Manuel, and, and the, the Android 14 hub on uh, on Android, please. And and yeah, it's it's literally like almost identical. It's it's just uh, the allow access to all photos is in the middle instead of on, on the top. Like that's literally, that's the only difference. I mean, even if it is a copy, like, I mean. It's good. It's yeah, it's, it's a good feature. Absolutely. I'm not like, I'm happy. I'm on record uh, somewhere on the website of being like, I like it when these companies copy good ideas from each other. Like, I think we all benefit from that. So, yeah. Yes, Speaking definitely. of copying, um, the next feature <laughs> I want to talk about is something people have been asking for for a long time and which a lot of OEMs have already been offering, and it's the ability to clone apps. So in Android yeah. 14, Google is testing a new settings menu where you can clone applications onto a new profile. So that does exactly what you think it does. It clones an application, so you have a second copy of it. So if you have like a social media app that you want to sign up on a different account, you don't have to like delete the app 
and reinstall it or like clear its data, you can just have two copies of the app and then run a second account on it. And of course, everyone immediately says, oh yeah, one UI had this, one UI has this, my MIUI has this. Yes, we get it. Every OEM pretty much has had this feature, but now it's being integrated into Android directly. So you don't need a third-party work profile workaround. You can just use the setting that's baked into Android directly. Of course, this is not fully implemented yet. It doesn't exactly work as you'd expect. You can't pick the apps that you want to be cloned. The list that shows up on settings page is actually determined by the OEM as of right now. And when you do clone an app, it doesn't really properly show up in the launcher. Like the launcher still thinks you have a work profile, even though you don't have a work profile set up. So it's still clearly in development and uh, something to look forward to in future releases. That's kind of always the story with these developer previews, especially the first developer preview, which is that it's like a lot of breadcrumbs and smaller changes. I I think predictive back gestures, as you said, is going to be big. I think the back button and then now back gesture uh, has long been a source of confusion on Android for even people like us, you know, like I'm sure we have all ran into moments where it's like you swipe back thinking the app is going to do one thing and it does another thing. And the idea that you would be able to see what it's about to do is like almost, I don't want to say revolutionary, but like it's big. It's like a, it's a big deal. Yeah, most definitely. Like, you know, these apps who've implemented like this fail safe where it asks you, are you sure that you want to exit this app with the next back movement? Yeah. Like, These kinds of things can be a thing of the past now. And it's just a much better experience. Yeah. I would encourage anyone who wants to know like everything about Android 14 to either check out our hub that Manuel has been (laughs) like just just I it it is truly a a feat that he got it done as fast as he as he did. Michelle's uh, Twitter account as well is like a huge deep dive. I know Michelle has been covering lots of this over at XDA. So I would encourage people to go there. Do we have, I know we, we kind of said that like it's it's too early, but but Manuel and Michelle, do you guys think you have any kind of idea of like wh- what is Android 14 going to be? Like obviously last year, Android 13 was a quote unquote smaller update, certainly smaller than Android 12. It was, it was very focused on security and privacy. Do we have an idea of like where Android 14 is going? Is it another one of these smaller updates? Is it just too early to tell? Uh, I, I'll just start before Michelle, who has seen a lot more <laughs> behind the background, um, can That's go fair. and prove That's me fair. and can go and prove me wrong. Um, so what I think <laughs> is <laughs> what I think is going to be like super interesting is what we already talked about, the new back gesture that will really yeah. change the way that we use Android and will make it much easier in a sense. And then the other big thing that I'm not sure we've seen any evidence of yet is that Android 14 will most certainly have satellite connectivity options, which Hiroshi Lockheimer announced, uh, I think, during IFA 2022 in a a tweet. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the two really big things that users are going to notice in everyday life. But yeah, I'm curious to hear what you think, Michal. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know the full extent of what Hiroshi meant by satellite connectivity still. But I still, I, I would like to put like a little caveat on that, like, you know, to the extent of like, what can actually do to support it? Like, what does he mean by that? Right. And I think right now, all he's talking about is like adding a hardware abstraction layer for satellite connectivity to standardize the way that SOC vendors are like implementing satellite connectivity into their hardware. You know, we already saw there's a phone from Motorola that's implementing satellite connectivity. And then there's also the 
Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 modem of phones coming in the second half of the year will implement satellite connectivity. So like you have to consider how does the low-level components of those devices communicate with Android. And I think what Hiroshi probably meant is that they're standardizing the way that communication happens so that in the future, not only Qualcomm's platform, their satellite connectivity implementation will work with Android, but other silicon vendors, et cetera, would work with Android. I don't think native integrated built-in satellite connectivity on every Android phone, like I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's just platform level support for whatever other companies are doing. Uh, yes, uh, for sure. I just think it's still an exciting prospect because when manufacturers basically don't have to all reinvent the wheel, which would be satellite connectivity in that sense. And if they have this hardware abstraction layer to rely on, that's going to make things much easier. Right. It would also potentially, depending on how they implement the APIs that communicate with the hardware abstraction layer and the underlying hardware, like if those APIs are open to third-party apps, for example, then say you had like a, a mapping app of your own or like the SOS app on your own, could you actually open like a satellite communication channel to send messages or would this be restricted to only system applications? Like, I'm not sure exactly what the API side looks like. Like, cause right now there's like nothing in Android 14 DB. What I mean, literally nothing about this, like besides the reference of a hardware abstraction layer, the hardware abstraction layer itself isn't even there in, in DB1. So like, this is very early. I mean, do you think this is something right. that might not actually arrive? And in, 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 I, I know, I know, he said the next version of Android in September. But do you think that's something that be, could be kicked down the road to Android fifteen? Like, obviously, it would be a not a big deal, but it would be a big deal, I guess. Like, especially you know, we've seen the iPhone fourteen come out, right? And so, like stuff like that. But do you think it's going to be in here, or, or do you think it, they'll kind of push it? I think it probably will be. I mean. Okay. It'd be kind of embarrassing for them to make that big decoration like a few months well, ago and then not have it shit. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's probably a priority. I mean, I mean, listen. Considering like, how much hype it's getting, you know, like from the Apple side and everything. Does, I'm here to pose the question, does Google have shame? Yes. Okay. It's very rarely seen, but they do have shame. All right. I'll, I'll tell all the Stadia fans that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's early days. I'm excited for what Android... 14 could bring i don't you know i didn't actually I, answer the, the original question. yeah i just only talked about the satellite part so <laughs> i kind of disagree with the notion that dp1 is actually like oh it's only an alpha look at you know okay. it, you're not you're, you're gonna expect a lot more i think I, i've changed my view on that after okay. how much time i've been digging through android 13 and seeing just how much work actually goes into each release just, just the sheer number yeah. of things you don't see and actually digging through DP1 right now, like there are so many big features that yeah. are under the hood that you just don't see about because Google doesn't tell you about them. That doesn't mean they're not there. Like it doesn't mean DP1 right. is a small release. Like oh, no, sure, no. if you put it side by side to Android 13, it looks almost identical. But then yeah. that's because everything that's actually interesting is disabled. And exactly. a lot of it, I'm questioning why right. it's not like, why is Google not choosing to talk about it or at least hint about it right now? Because a lot of this stuff, would impact apps and developers. And, you know, you want to give them as much time as possible to be ready for these changes. And, you know, I don't know the reasoning behind some of it. Some of it's clearly not ready. Like I can tell, like there's like right. some stuff that I enable that has like clearly placeholder text, stuff like that. So I can see why they're not talking about that yet. But like, yeah, there's a whole lot more than meets the eye when it comes to Android 14 and especially Android updates in general. Like I would never, again, call an Android update minor. Just seeing how much stuff goes in. For sure, I yeah. I'm a hundred percent talking like uh, like I guess um, 
user level. Yeah, user From level consumer stuff. consumer perspective. Yes, exactly. Like, I know that Android 13 specifically changed a lot of stuff under the hood. It was just, you know, if you leaped to grab your Pixel in August and, and hit update, and then you looked at it and you were like, huh, yeah, I guess there's a couple new things here. It, like, you don't know what's under the hood. And, like, I think that's kind of what's always interesting about the developer previews is that, like, we really won't see most if there are any visual changes, we wouldn't see that like any user facing changes really until like they take the stage at IO and launch a beta. Like that's usually when that happens. And at that point we're, you know, looking at the timeline that they shared this week where we'll be three months. Oh, they're actually launching the beta in April. See, I didn't even know. I, yeah. I didn't realize uh, they're only doing two developer reviews. Okay. That, that's cool. But regardless, so the launch beta two in May, that's, this is how S 23 how much I've been in the S23 world this week is that like, I feel completely disconnected. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not trying to say that it's a small update by any means. It's just, uh, this is really when like the interesting stuff kind of comes out and it's always fun to like watch what forms into bigger things over, you know, DP2 and, and beta one and what kind of like doesn't. Yeah. The thing is some of the bigger features we may not actually properly see in these developer previews because a right. lot of it, they implement like an, a new API or something that's at the platform level. But then the actual interesting use of it is built into Google Play services, which is like a complete black box. Like I have no idea what's going on inside of that app. It's just so big and complicated. So like an example is in Android 13, there was a lot of hints about some new virtual device or some new virtual display APIs. So right. like these APIs are what the Chromebook app streaming feature, which still hasn't launched yet, by the way, is using. That the actual implementation of the app streaming feature is like all Google Play services and like this this new separate app called uh, I, I don't even I know as official oh ambient streaming I think is what it's called. There's a lot of these things that are being worked on under the hood. We won't know exactly how they're going to be used until like the proprietary Google app with it ships. So um, we'll have to wait and see for some of these things. Like there are some things like I'm pretty sure oh I can see that being used by some proprietary Google app. I just don't know what exactly that's going to look like. So um, Google announced that it would be working on streamlining background operations and hopefully that would help with less battery drain. And there's also talk about them to restrict apps from using exact alarms. Uh, what do you think about all this? Like, will this actually help or will this make notifications even less reliable? So the, the exact alarms thing is actually just to follow up on what they did in Android 13. That's not going to have a huge impact on battery life overall because it's something that I mean it does exactly what you think it is like an alarm clock like if an alarm clock app sets an alarm for 10 a.m. that alarm clock app is not constantly running in the background like waiting until it's 10 a.m. and then firing off the alarm it like goes into sleep and then the system sets literally an alarm for 10 a.m. and then when it's 10 a.m. it tells the app hey wake up you set an alarm for 10 a.m. and then that alarm app will actually fire the alarm that you think of when you hear alarm right it's a little weird and what, what they're doing is basically saying, okay, the API that you can use to schedule something to happen at exactly a specific time in the future, we're not going to let every app use that by default anymore. We're only going to allow alarm clock apps and calendar apps to have this permission by default. Every other app has to ask for it for the, from the user. So before, every app could just say, hey, I want to have this capability, and they'd be granted it by default. For example, the Sony PlayStation app, for some reason, has this permission, and I have no idea what they do with it. Like, why do they need the the ability to schedule an alarm, I, I don't know. So like what they're doing in Android 13 or in Android 14 is they're saying that you know, you're going to have to ask the user for this permission from now on. But on your broader point about battery life, 
there are there's some major changes that are being implemented that I'm surprised they haven't talked about yet. We'll see them probably in the future developer preview. I'm very excited to get uh to to for my PlayStation app and Android 14 to be like, can we uh can we set alarms? Can we can we use this? Uh, because I would love to hear why uh why they need that. They can tell me when it's uh <laughs> when it's time to game. But yeah, no, I mean Android 14, it's big, it's coming. We're looking at August probably again, unless that slips, but which there is always a chance they don't they don't lock it in. But yeah, it looks like August again after a, a handful of betas. What's interesting I'm, I'm, about August early is September that, is my expectation. Yeah, I was gonna say that because the Google Pixel 4a is no longer on the supported list. I looked it up on Wikipedia, so I hope Wikipedia has the right information here. It says it was released on August 20th, 2022. And if that phone isn't included on the betas and on the developer previews, and it's supposed to get updates for three full years, then that would mean to me that it must be launched at the end of August or in September, as Michal says. I mean, I think that's the reason why the dates are working the way they are. Yeah, I think it's just the unfortunate wording on Google's part. So like, you know, they say guaranteed updates for three years. What they probably should have always meant from the beginning was three generations. Like kind of how like Samsung, yes. when they announced update policy, they explicitly clarified generations instead of years. Exactly. I was just about to say, because before I launched two months later, but because it launched two months later, it launched with, with Android 10. I agree with that, but it, it is still annoying wording because those, those do mean different yeah, things. Like, in my opinion, like if, if you say three years, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if you actually mean three, if you mean three generations, you should, you should say, you know, just like, like you said, like Samsung is saying four major OS upgrades, five years of security patches. OnePlus is saying the same thing for the OnePlus 11. I also think Google should maybe catch up to the competition on this. And I think it's a little yeah. silly that uh, we saw the four, uh, the Pixel 4 get its final uh, update this week when that phone could absolutely continue getting software updates if they wanted to. They just don't want to. So it, it is what I, it I mean, is. I, I think what makes the Pixel 4a like somewhat more special in that regard is that like the Pixel 4a 5G launched like three months after and is getting... Uh, yeah, longer support even though it it's feels just like the time yeah such real yeah they're like super related to each other so like it's just yeah i, I guess those it makes are just it feel like more the, arbitrary yeah the 4a technically is on a different like silicon platform it entirely yeah and also it launched yeah. the 4a 5g long alongside the 5 with android 11 at launch yeah, no, uh, and I, I wrote an article about that this week, and yes, the the, the 4A is on a 7, oh god, 35G snap, right? 730. 30G, yes, and uh, and uh, the 4A 5G is on a 765G, which is also what the Pixel 5 is running on, I believe. But yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. I've been thinking a lot about like what the smartphone industry is right now, and like we can we will get to this later with both of the phones in front of me. We are at a point where like, I, I don't know if three years is cutting it anymore. Like I would like to see Google do better. I understand the relationship with Qualcomm and like all that, like that can be complicated, but like, especially for Google's tensor powered phones, like the fact that the pixel six is, you know, like it, it will run out of, uh, of, of, of OS upgrades in, in a year, right? Like a, a year and a half. It's unfortunate, but anyway, Android 14, check out the site, check out Michelle's coverage on Twitter. 
lots of stuff coming from that dp2 will arrive in just a few weeks it will probably be right after manuel and i get back from mwc we'll be trying to recover and then google will launch dp2 and we will uh, have to get out of bed i was gonna say that sounds optimistic i feel like they're gonna drop it while you're on the plane back <laughs> yeah you know what you're right you're right let me oh, check please, no. if i'm looking at my calendar now you're right uh i i it's possible it's probably not it probably will be the week of the sixth but but you never know you never know anyway we should move on to yes let's Google's, go ahead and talk about device oh wait well, no, no ai Google's AI, that AI catastrophe. man while you were oh my God, yes. watching this close do you want to do you want to talk about this it was such a weird event um so in in case you're not familiar with it like Google a week before this event announced that this event was coming and everybody was like thinking, okay, they're going to announce their chat GPT competitor at this event. And then what they actually ended up doing was release their chat GPT competitor Bart on Monday before that event in a press release. And everybody was like, okay, what, what are they going to talk about during this event? Almost, we should and say, almost certainly to because Microsoft was going to announce their, their new version of Bing with AI. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that because yes. they announced their stuff on Tuesday and yes. Google just wanted to like be a step ahead. But in the process, that event felt like a weird mashup of, yeah, let's just show which products we have that have AI in them. And let's just talk about any and all features we can think of that have like a hint of AI in them. And then probably the funniest thing that happened in there was that they had a BART demonstration I think this demonstration talked about the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. And it and claimed it that wrong. Yeah, it claimed that it uh, took the first ever picture of an exoplanet and that is not true. That was apparently back in 2004 already. I think this demo was shown before the event itself, but like it overshadowed that whole event. I'm not 100% sure anymore. Well, it wasn't a demo, it was an ad. Yeah, right, right. But like the ad is basically a demo because nobody can really use BART outside of a few testers. I mean, it was and like then, the video attached to their blog post, right? Like it was yeah. in the yeah, official blog post was, right? with Sundar's yeah. name on it. <laughs> right, right. That was it, what it was. And then on top of all this, there was like this demo phone that was just like misplaced. So like they wanted to do a demo, I think, of Google Maps. No, of a lens feature. That's what it was. They wanted to make a demo of a lens feature right on stage. And then the presenter was just like, okay, we wanted to do a demo, but where's the phone? And basically just laughed awkwardly. And then um, were like, yeah, we'll talk about this after the event to like the press that was uh, on the ground. And that's such a weird thing to happen to like a multi-billion dollar company. You would think that they have their events practiced and choreographed and everything. So well, it was and then, really just was there anything about this that didn't feel slapdash? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it the it also like as as it was ending right. It also went offline before they had actually right. wrapped up. Correct. And then the video was private, so you could not actually go back and see anything they had just talked about. Uh, it is up now. I, I I did not realize that it, at some point they added it back. You can go watch Google Presents live from Paris on on the official Google uh, YouTube channel, but. It disappeared, and we were trying to write news stories about this, and we couldn't go back and see what they had said. Half of what they had talked about, roughly, you know, like, not really, but but like a lot of the stuff they had talked about had already been announced, or like, you know, there was a lot of us being like, haven't they 
haven't they shown this before? And like, yeah, but we had to dig for it. It was a very silly event and especially coming off Microsoft's Bing event the day before, which I think I would say was was fairly acclaimed and people found very impressive. And I think it is weird to say people are excited about Bing, but people seem to be excited about Bing. I, I think they, they kind of fell on their face on this one a little bit. Just a little bit? <laughs> Just a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Manuel, Michal, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts about about Bard in general, because it's intriguing. Like, I would love to try it. AI is still early. I have not even really experimented with chat GPT much. And we are now seeing Microsoft and Google like swing in and be like, oh, we're going to like either, you know, partner with these companies or like create our like own uh, AI models uh, to build into our search engines. And I have this Search is going to look very different soon, I think, but I'm I'm curious, you know, what you guys think. I think the most impactful thing. So, like, I I don't I don't think like it's DefCon one at yeah. Google yet. I think what's going to be the biggest thing to look out for is the rumored renegotiations that Apple is going to have about the default yeah. search engine. I mean, how much is Google and Microsoft are they going to pay? Like, is Microsoft going to put it in serious money to actually consider putting Bing as default on Apple devices? And if Google loses that, then it's DEFCON 1. Because, like, Apple devices having Bing as a default instead of Google, that would immediately lose so much market share. And the power of defaults, people just use whatever default is there. Right now, it's Google on most devices everywhere. <laughs> so uh, Google still has, like, absolute dominance in search, you know, even though Bing has this hot new thing. Like, Google's still not really in trouble yet, but, like, things could get tough for them if they lose any of those defaults anywhere. I think a lot of people are still seeking out Google search as the thing that they want to use. It would definitely have an impact, but I think the Google search brand is still big enough to combat this. Well, I mean, yeah, Bing has a cool new feature, but most regular people aren't going to know that Bing has a cool new feature. They're just going to remember it was that thing on whenever they that they were forced to use on Microsoft Explorer and Microsoft Edge for a while. Because yes. like Bing is so far behind that yeah, this new feature actually gives it a chance to try and leapfrog back into a reputation that is good. But Google has enough of a foothold and so long as they can actually get their crap together in the next couple of months, but we haven't seen that yet. And that is disconcerting considering search is Google's biggest thing. So I agree. But I will say, and I, and I'm absolutely there. There was a Twitter thread I saw that that kind of made the same point. So I don't want to say this is completely something I thought of on my own. But um, there is this current attitude of people not being totally satisfied with with Google as a search engine these days. Like like regular people, the fact that it seems like everyone knows <laughs> to put the word Reddit after anything you're actually trying to fix like if you are troubleshooting anything the fact that it's it's like almost a cheat code at this point i think ed zitron called it that if i'm remembering who's tweeting about this it might not be but it's funny to see them kind of like the ai race is what is leading them to like start to make their search engine usable for regular people again because as it stands right now i think there is a certain level of like displeasure with the results you get from Google that are often like SEO focused, like keyword focused, like we're not actually going to solve anything. We're not anything. actually going to do yeah. anything useful to you except maybe tell you what you already know. And I mean, I mean, I do this like I've, I'm sure we all do this. Like you, you have a problem that you don't know how to fix with a piece of hardware or an app or whatever. 
and like you add the word Reddit because you're like, well, I don't think this random website is going to tell me how to do it. But a commenter six threads down in a, a Reddit post like might so like it, it, and like sometimes it like it genuinely works. So I do think it is funny that like the AI race is what might lead Google to start like giving good answers to search queries again. But it's way too early to, to know if that will solve this problem. Either way, more competition in this space is just good news for all of us because it can only get better. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I, I am worried about the effects that AI generated content will have on just the quality of search in general. Like you mentioned, people already append Reddit to everything. Like I, yeah. I do that. Yeah. But like there's already so many websites that just pop up out of nowhere, like plagiarize you guys, me, absolutely so other websites yeah. and make ad, ad money off it. Imagine how much easier it's going to be for them to just like throw that into chat GPT and start writing articles. Well, and as, like, yeah, know, yeah, I think it's going to be a hellscape. Like, I, I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah. But like, it's already bad as, as it is with manually created content that for some reason gets a stamp of approval and gets AdSense and like all this other stuff and starts ranking search results. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not looking forward to that. I, I really hope Google clamps down on it hard. I, I just don't know if it's going to be effective considering what we have right now. As a call filled with bloggers, I think we are all <laughs> nervous about the effects of AI writing. I mean, um, I'm slightly I, not, I, but that's also because I know that bots can't do as good a job as a human when it comes to absolutely. what I do and what a number of us do. I I mean yeah. we have watched the, the the CNET controversy like over the last few weeks, right? And 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 the fact that like even these like relatively basic articles have like it, it, not even like facts wrong, like literally just the wrong math for like like interest equations and like it. You know, I agree that like there is that part of my brain that will will always look at it and be like, well, I should probably be a little concerned about this. But also yeah. like I wrote a four thousand word galaxy s23 review this week and like ai can't do that all it can right. do is give you a list of specs like like it can't tell you how i felt using it at a concert last weekend like it, it can't do that so so i agree but there is that like you know google kind of came out and said that they wouldn't be like punishing websites for ai articles or like lowering their search ranking for ai written articles and i, I was a little frustrated by that because it's like well, you probably should because typically the best content is going to be actually written by someone and not just like fed through a machine and like spit out. So what I'm worried about is like what you see right now, like when the S23 launch, right? From like an yeah. editorial perspective, how do you capture that search term, Galaxy S23, right? You see so many yeah. websites. I mean, I'm, you're very familiar with this, right? You have like Absolutely. best cases, best accessories, S23 versus S22, what to upgrade. Micro SD we have car. those articles, we, yeah. All that stuff. Sure. I was about to you say, you are, I'm just having flashbacks to the last two weeks here, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you have someone writing all that stuff. So imagine, like, a website that doesn't have the staff to do that. Exactly. Of like, I'm not saying this is, like, a bad thing, that they, they have these tools now. But, like, now every website will have, like, 40 articles on the S23 on launch day. Just, like, the sheer number, amount of content that's going to be drowning out useful search results. And, exactly. like... When I'm searching for something like I, I want to like say if I want to buy a case for my for a Galaxy S23, now I have to go through 150 automatically generated articles. Like how many people, how many of those they've actually reviewed? Like how many were exactly. actually like human curated? But yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. No, I agree, and 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 that is, I guess, the benefit of someone who is like you know, I mean, we're about we can talk about it in a second, but like I I posted two phone reviews this week, and like it's the same thing of like a machine will not be able to tell you 
that the OnePlus 11 is like the slipperiest phone I've ever held because like they can't hold it. It won't know this yeah. unless it yeah, sources the, the it machine, from another website. But. Right. The machine can basically just uh, aggregate knowledge that we... But someone still has like, to be writing that. You know what I mean? Right. Like someone has to... That's what I mean. Somebody doesn't necessarily have to be writing it. Somebody ha- just has to give it its cliff notes and it can run. Sure. But, which is a worry for me. But at that point, just write a damn article yourself then if you're already like testing the, the, the device. But anyway, that's a whole can of worms. We we, we yeah, don't have uh, time for that because we need to move on because we are over half yes, an hour we're, already. We're running <laughs> long, longer than that. So yes. speaking of all the S23 articles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of those two 4,000 word reviews you wrote this week was the Galaxy S23 Ultra. I am still anxiously awaiting my base model S23. So now that you have properly used this phone, is there anything you'd like to add that wasn't in the review or would you at least like to amend anything you said last week about oh, this Oh, I phone? wasn't even here last week. You weren't here last week. That's right, because uh, Daniel traveling. said that this was the slipperiest phone ever and you didn't agree with that. Yeah, I'm happy to... <laughs> I listened to last week's episode to hear what you guys and Alex, who guested in my spot, had to say about the S23 launch and I agree with most of what was said, except I don't, like... Daniel said that he'd already dropped the phone three times. I'm not denying that. But the frosted glass is grippy enough that I don't think it's an issue. I honestly haven't really been putting a case on the S23 Ultra, but that's besides the point. Let me let me take a step back. I reviewed the S23 Ultra. The short version is, if you don't read my, my 4,500 word review, I really like it. It's obviously a boring phone. It is an S22.5 Ultra, basically. But I think that's great. Like, I think the S22 Ultra was a pretty good phone. I think this is better in, in nearly every way. They did not take a step back at, at any moment with the, the small stuff they changed. Um, I think the camera is pretty impressive. I only shot a little bit in 200 megapixels because it defaults to 12 megapixel binned images. But like the detail is there. You can see like a noticeable difference if you take two photos back to back and kind of zoom in. Like it is impressive how much detail it can capture. I would say leave it on 12 megapixel for the most part. But yeah, battery life is great. I think it's excellent that the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for Galaxy chip will be available worldwide because I genuinely think like Exynos people might actually consider upgrading to this. If you have an S21 or an S22, even running Exynos, you might want to consider jumping up just because it will be that much better. Yes, definitely. Like for someone who lives in Germany and we've always had to deal with Exynos, it's just like, that it's a much bigger deal here than it is in the U.S. I, I, and, and it's it's been so funny watching ZKD at, at Android Police like get so excited about upgrading from the S22 to the S23, and I'm like, you probably don't need to spend like $1,200 on this, but like, yeah, I I have to like, remind myself like Exynos like that that is a big deal. It is a big change. So well, he would upgrade either way because he's he would on the sa- anyway, well, no, because he's true. on the Samsung upgrade program. So it's just literally oh, okay. it's just it's time for him. Sure. But yeah, it's probably my favorite hardware I've ever held, just in terms of like, I really love the design. I think the squared off look looks really sharp. Like it, it's it's just a good looking phone. The display is like incredible. It's huge. Aura, you would hate it. Oh, no, I, I definitely would. Like when they said like, oh, we're only seating review units for the Ultra. And I was like, then I'm buying an S23. I ain't going big again. Yeah. I had the S22 Ultra for a couple of months. It's It's too big. I don't care about the S Pen. I don't care about that curved screen. I want a phone I can freaking fit in my pocket. Yeah. For as many words as I wrote on it, it is very easy to sum up, which is that it's an excellent phone if you are looking to upgrade. It is a great phone to upgrade to. You know, it's expensive. There are certainly 
cheaper options that are you know nearly as good on the market right now i would say like the pixel lineup just whether you want like a 6a or a 7 or a 7 pro they're all cheaper than this phone especially considering trade-in options are not great this year at least through samsung carriers are another thing but it's kind of the king of Android phones right now, unless you prefer Pixel, which I I usually do, to be honest, like I do prefer like Google software experience over Samsung's, but like I haven't put the phone down yet. Like I published my review yesterday. I'm still like actively enjoying using it. Like it's it's a fun phone to use in a weird way, considering how boring it is. But yeah, that that's the S23 Ultra. I, I can answer questions about it, but it is a weirdly like, you know what it is, but it's good. I mean, I like how you put in a rear view that it was it's safe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's boring because, yeah, it, this is a year that is very uncertain for a lot of things in tech. So Samsung going with a sure thing rather than trying to reinvent the wheel when it's already struggling yeah. it, makes it, all the sense in the smartphone. world, even though it just like, like it, it, it is yeah. a it is if foldables are the thing that will become, you know, the thing everyone has once Apple launches one if apple launches one or whatever and that might not be true that might never happen but like in terms of what we currently think of as like a mainstream smartphone a glass and metal slab that this is like peak that it's got a huge screen the screen takes up almost the entire front of the of it like the edges curve a little bit but even then it's like barely like to be honest they should have just made it flat it's got a bunch of cameras on the back of it like what a smartphone is right now like this is the peak version of that yeah no i'm very much looking forward to getting mine the only thing i'm dreading giving up moving from the pixel 7 to the s23 is the call screening if samsung could get call screening as good as google's i would have no reason to go back yeah a hundred percent but but yeah i i we can we can wrap up quickly the other phone i reviewed this week that i published another four thousand words on is the uh, oneplus 11 we saw that launch in north america and europe this week at an event in india i guess everywhere but china it had already launched in china i do not like this phone as much as the s23 ultra but i do think it's pretty good i think it's their best phone since at least the oneplus nine it kind of combines the OnePlus 10 Pro and the 10T to create like a flagship phone with like a high res display and the Hasselblad camera if you're into that and the alert slider is still here and a huge 5000 milliamp battery. But it does that at $700 instead of $900, which is what the 10 Pro was sold at. If you are, you know, looking at an S23 Plus and you want to save money like this is very similar to that phone i would say the biggest issue is the software it oxygen os is still deeply flawed i would say in its current state i don't think it will ever get better but you can hold out hope it is not unusable like it is not like a train wreck of software but it is certainly much less polished than the pixel experience or one ui you can kind of work around the little annoyances in it but they are there I will say <laughs> some of the best battery life I've ever seen on a phone I, it is it is two days easy, two days with like nine hours of screen on time. It's like excellent battery life and it charges in from zero to a hundred. And like I timed it. Mine was they claim like 30 minutes in the US for the 80 watt charger. I had 33. I still think that's pretty impressive. It's super slippery, though, and the design is kind of lame. I, I don't like the camera bump, but uh, yeah, it's it's a good phone. Like I said, it's kind of an S23 Plus alternative. I don't know what the current state of the OnePlus like fan base 
is right now, especially in North America. They are not selling this phone in T-Mobile stores anymore. And I would assume that is because not a lot of T-Mobile people are buying or bought 10 Pros or 10 Ts. But yeah, it's a good phone. Alrighty. Well, I think that's all we have to say on that phone. And I'm sure we will have more to talk about for S23 next week. But Michelle, thank you for coming on and talking Android 14 Developer Preview 1. It's lovely to have you. I hope we can have you back sometime. Manuel, thank you for taking the time. And I'm sorry we are holding up your afternoon, evening. What time is it in Germany right now? It's all okay. It's 5.30 right now, 5.30 p.m. Ah, so it's time for happy hour. <laughs> I was going to log off and have, have a drink. <laughs> Well, I'm still going to have to update my Android 14 hub that I've been midway through right now. Um, but yeah, then a drink. It's time for yeah. the weekend. <laughs> then a drink. Yes. Alrighty. Well, <laughs> I hope the rest of you can have a beverage of your choosing. Please drink responsibly. Have a good weekend or weekday whenever you get to listen to us. And we will be back next week. Uh, I am Arawako on Twitter and Mastodon. Will is Will underscore Saddleberg at uh, Twitter. Are you on Mastodon? Yeah, but I'm not. Like, you're not going to. Yeah. Like, uh, technically, okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Michelle Raman is obviously Michelle Raman on Twitter. Are you on Mastodon yet, good sir? Yeah, I'm on uh, the Android dev server. Same. Ah. Uh, Michelle Raman at Android dev at social. Alrighty. And then Manuel... Are you still on yes. Twitter? Are you excellent? And I believe yours is Manuel Bonal, right? Right, just my name without any underscores or any fancy wording. You know, I wanted I wanted to keep it special. I like the underscore. <laughs> People misspell Wagoner all the time, so that's why I went with something a little bit more fair. weird. Uh, already, but we have taken up enough of y'all's time. So thank y'all for joining us. We're sorry we went a little bit long this week, and have a good one. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye bye.